This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. Good afternoon, Katerina. It is so lovely to speak with you and about your upcoming concert with Chatham Baroque, the Ensemble Dialogos. It sounds like an amazing uh, story, a Christianized adaptation of the story of Buddha from medieval Greece, yes. Russia, Croatia, and Italy. Tell me a little bit about this. Well, yes, when one says uh, life of Buddha is a Christian saint, it immediately sounds very strange, and some people are almost in disbelief. But believe it or not, it's really true. One of the most famous medieval stories of the lives of saints is actually a story which we know originally as the life of Buddha, the founder of Buddhism. And then this story was so amazing and so edifying, actually, that every single religion or language that found this story on its way translated it and adapted it to its own reality. So when it comes to the Arabic world, it will also be uh, used as a Muslim story. Then it will be translated into Hebrew and it will be in Judaism. And it is at some point in the 9th century, 10th century, translated into Georgian language, and that's when it becomes Christian. From Georgian, it is translated into Greek, Latin, Italian, and you name it. All the medieval languages knew this story, and it changed the name. Instead of Bodhisattva, it became Josephus. And the story is the same, but the person, the character is a different one. So how did you become aware of the original story of Buddha? Well, as soon as you start working on this legend of Barlam and Josaphat, and you start looking at scholarly literature about this legend, you very quickly see this evidence. And I'm definitely not the person who has found this. This has been throughout the 20th century already known to scholars that this story is actually a story about saints who did not exist. They were the, the story of Buddha, which then just traveled and, and became very famous. I became very interested in this story ooh, 15 years ago, and it took me really 10 years of work in order to read it in several languages, to learn about this story, to select sections that I wanted to then perform, and then to create a musical voyage through these different parts of the story in different languages, but still telling the same story from the beginning to the end. It, it is truly an undertaking, an amazing uh, feat that you have created this uh, beautiful story, and you have been you're the voice, and also you have directed the Program. So yes. tell me a little bit, who is joining you? We have um, fiddle player, fiddle and Rebecca player, Albrecht yes. Maurer, and the flutes and harp yes. is Norbert Rodenkirchen. And how did you, you all come together to create this piece? Well, we worked together since many years, so mm-hmm. this is my really faithful trio. We, we, uh, we call ourselves the band, because <laughs> Dialogos has many different ways to perform. Sometimes I sing with three other women, 
Sometimes I sing with a group of men. It's really different. The Alogos is always, it's really my project since I was young. I was always hoping that one day I will have an early music ensemble. This was my childhood obsession, and I managed to do it. So I'm very happy that my childhood dream came true. And so my ensemble uh, varies uh, according to each program. And in this trio uh, uh, version, we have done another program, Judith, we did several other programs. And this was sort of the, the most natural way to be just the three of us, because then I'm the storyteller who is singing the story, switching from one language to the other. And they are also switching from one instrument to the other mm. in order to show different musical colors of these different musical cultures through which this story has passed. And then uh, we also have uh, had a beautiful opportunity to work with the famous stage director, Japanese actor Yoshi Oida, who worked for decades with the famous English uh, uh, stage director, Peter Brook. Uh, so mm. Yoshi Oida put the staging, made the staging for us, and uh, that's, uh, that's a very minimalistic, but in my eyes, very efficient staging that is also enhancing this piece. And we have subtitles, which then sh uh, allow today's audience to really follow the story. Um, it's curious that um, you travel from language to language and instrument to instrument to create the story, the journey of Barlam and Josephat. Yeah. Um, is there, a, is there a language that you really find that you enjoy presenting the story in, or is it just to be able to present the story in all of the languages that are a part of this uh, journey? That's such a great question. Well, I, I can choose two languages. In the show, the audience will hear seven languages. Mm. There will be Old Greek, Latin, uh, Russian, Slavonic, then Croatian, Italian, French, and Occitan, the language of southern France in the Middle Ages. From these seven languages, if I would have to pick which is the dearest or where I feel the most spontaneous, that would be Croatian, because that's my mother tongue, of course. Mm -hmm. But there is another one that I dearly love. It's the Italian version <sighs> of this story, and that opens our program, it's a beautifully shaped story of Barlam and Yosefat in verse, and it sings itself. You don't need to sing it. You could mm. speak it and it would already be singing. And with music it just makes it into such a very natural and, and beautifully shaped story by this 14th century Italian poet. I, I almost feel like this coming together like this in all of these languages, you've created an oral tradition of this story yeah. that continues throughout the um, centuries, truly. Yes, and I had to work. That's why it took such a long time. I had to work on each of these excerpts to see where does it come from, which century, which kind of poet translated the legend into his or her language. Um, everything needed to be carefully researched. And then I went to the musical manuscripts of each of these traditions, 
and searched for melodies that would be the most appropriate and natural for telling a life of a saint. And uh-huh. in each of these traditions, there are melodies which are related to that kind of stories. Mm-hmm. So I inspired myself from that, but then, as you say, we really had to create it from scratch uh, to, to make it into like a new living tradition. Right, absolutely. You mentioned that when you were growing up as a youngster, you became uh, enthused and entranced with early music. How did that come about? Well, I grew up in a city on the Adriatic coast in Croatia, where there was a 9th century beautiful Romanesque church that I could always see from my window as I was a child. And in that church, there were concerts of early music. That was so rare that that would be already an early music festival. And as a child, I had the opportunity to go there with my mother, who would take me along with her as she would go to to concerts. And I'm not from a musical family. It was just a sheer pleasure. My mother likes to go to, to concerts, and she would take me with her. And I discovered this as a child. And uh, I was talking with a friend the other day, with a colleague, about creating a new program of some medieval music. And then I told him, I said, beware, when I listen to music, I always listen like a seven-year-old person. I never <laughs> grew up when I listened to music. That's and the it's best. Strange because I studied music. I, I had a PhD in musicology. I te- taught at the university. Now I'm teaching voice in, in uh, Basel, in Switzerland, this specialized school for early music. So I'm really always doing this very kind of grown-up, sophisticated work. But in the bottom of me is a child who is listening to this music with a child's ears. And when I said this to this colleague of mine, I said it almost as if I wanted to apologize because I said, you know, it's it's really, I don't want to, this to sound so sophisticated when we will be singing it. And then she said, no, on the contrary, it's good that you listen to music like a child because that's the only way how we should all listen to the music. I agree. That true and pure and like a child uh, that you can laugh and play and, and make the music yeah. alive. Yeah. And if you don't like something, then you just say it very openly, as a child would say, this is not my thing, and this is my thing. And sometimes I don't even analyze why. You just are attracted to, to some music, and you don't need to explain why. And that's, in a way, how I want the audience to be in our concerts, just to be enthusiastic about listening to this beautiful story through this music, and not to worry about many musicological questions for details. Oh, that sounds amazing. Ensemble Dialogos is coming to Pittsburgh, and they will be performing on Sunday, February 19th at 2.30, and Tuesday, February 21st at 7.30, and that, of course, is at the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. But there's an additional program, Katarina, with Norbert and the Medieval Echoes, contemplative medieval flute music from Nochtker to Machot and beyond. Let's. Uh, could I hear yeah. a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Norbert is proposing a, a solo concert in which he will really do a, like a condensed walk through the music history of Middle Ages in one concert. 
Notker is a 9th century author and Machaut is a 14th century mm. author. So we have a couple of centuries of music that he will try to cross through with his flutes that he will play the tunes from these different periods. And I will give an introductory lecture to, to this concert so that also it will be an opportunity to have an information about it, also an introduction a little bit to the Barlam and Yosafat story for those who would come next day to the concert or those who have seen, who will have seen it the before because then they will have the, the, the story in mind, but then maybe they will have questions and it will introduce to Norbert's concert so that it doesn't remain as something too exotic, but that people can really feel free about approaching this music in a very spontaneous way. I'm so excited about this concert uh, that uh, Chatham Baroque is presenting, and I believe uh, you're coming to the United States to present this in several different cities, correct? Yes, yes. We are leaving tomorrow for a long trip. We are going to Omaha, Nebraska, Mm -hmm. where we will give this concert. Then we are coming to Pittsburgh, and after Pittsburgh, we are going to Los Angeles, where we will also give this concert, and I will participate in a conference which is organized by the University of California, Los Angeles, and I love the title of the conference. It's called The Future of Medieval France, (laughs) and I love this idea because we all have our idea of Middle Ages, and this idea actually evolves with us because we are the, the ones who studied, who look at the monuments, who perform the music. So I love the idea of future of medieval France. So I will be talking as well about this project, which uh, took so many years of my life and took me to so many trips. I could tell you so many stories about countries where I went as I was searching for these manuscripts. That's another story that could be a book. I think it could be a book, but tell me one of your favorite stories, one of the favorite adventures that you went through to put this together. I can tell you. <laughs> One of the favorites was I saw that this Georgian manuscript, which was the first Christian version, so that's how the story started being Christian. This Georgian manuscript is in Jerusalem. And I was thinking, God, that's such a big trip, and how will I do it? And then I applied for some grants, of course, because that's, that's such a big project. Mm-hmm. And I contacted the Greek Orthodox bishop, I mean, not the bishop himself, but the, the office or the church in Jerusalem, where I found that this manuscript was kept. So I received an email. I couldn't believe already. I was so happy that they would even answer my email. And I received a mail that, yes, I'm very welcome to come and see the manuscript. And I answered, and I said, how can I, who will receive me? And, I, and when I arrived in Jerusalem and went to that place, it was a beautiful spring evening, this kind of magic moment of the day. I knock at the door, and I see a tiny old man opening me the door and saying, I will show you the manuscript. And at the end, I wanted to think, and I said, and I would like to thank the bishop if you could uh, uh, transmit my message to him. And then she said, I am the bishop. Oh. <laughs> and it was so moving. He was like the, the tiny 
doorman, a, a little servant. And it turns out he is the Bishop of Greek oh. Orthodox Church in Jerusalem. It's, it's, almost like, so it's almost like a fairy tale. It's, it's, yes. yes, and the guardian of the manuscript. Yes, and you know in the story of Barlam and Josephus, there is a tiny man who knocks at the door of Josephus, who is the son of a prince, and he shows him that the life is not about material wealth, but about what he calls the inner precious stone hmm. that we cannot see with the eyes, but only with the eyes of the spirit. And when I met this man, I felt like he is the guard, the custodian of that precious stone. It was very moving, very special, and that's for me uh, a story that will always remain with me. Absolutely. I think you do need to write a book uh, and tell the stories of this adventure. Yeah. I did. It's interesting. I did write a book about this story. It's an electronic book that can be downloaded along as a CD that we released on uh, on that story. But you know what? In that book, I told about the whole research part. But what I probably, now you are encouraging me, I didn't even think of that. What I should once write is a story about the story. Yes. It's all of these incredible anecdotes on the way that I lived through. Absolutely. It's been a part of your life for such a long time, and the stories, yeah. I'm sure, are rich and filled with amazing insights and the fact that, you know, the stone, the unseen stone is there and uh, so much more as a part of this beautiful Barlam and Josephat. Yeah. It's a story, really, that is beautiful for anyone at any period and any, any place, and I think that's why it was so successful. That's why it really lived such a rich and long life. Uh, we're so excited to have you here coming to Pittsburgh, Ensemble Dialogos, and uh, we wish you very safe journeys. Those programs on Sunday, February 19th at 2.30, and Tuesday, February 21st at 7.30 p.m. at the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and then, of course, Medieval Echoes with Norbert Rodenkirchen with contemplative medieval music covering from the 9th century to the 14th century, not care to Macho. Uh, this is a delight, Katarina. I thank you so much for taking time, and I wish you the very best in traveling, and we look forward to seeing you. Thank you, and it really was an utter delight for me to talk to you, and I'm very much looking forward to this concert and to meeting you. This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.